0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Glory, glory, glory. You know, when God speaks a word, when God speaks a word, he never speaks a word to say something. God always speaks a word to do something, to perform something, to accomplish a task. So when his word goes forth, it's not just to give a declaration or even a command. When God speaks, something is performed. Something is to be done in response to that word. And so I believe that tonight, that his word will not return void, but it will perform the task which it is sent. God's word is always sent. That means it's been intentionally Uh, directed, and intentionally spoke. You know how many times we say things we don't mean? We say things that don't have any intentionality behind it. We say things without urgency, but God never just casually or merely speaks or talks or commands or, or gives his word. His word is always with the direction and the intentionality of performing something. God never speaks a word to say a thing God speaks a word to do a thing. So believe that God's word is going to work in your life. Believe that God's word is going to be put to work. It's going to be assigned a task to accomplish and to perform in your life tonight. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. You know, I was you know, looking over the last couple of days. I even had someone ask me this afternoon, what are you going to minister on? And my answer was, I don't know. It's not I don't know because I haven't studied or I haven't, uh, you know, uh, given time to think about where I want to go. It's because I had several things that were brewing that I couldn't pinpoint exactly where I wanted to go. But I just cannot get off of this uh, that's just recently uh, risen up, you know, prior to Kingdom Rise and then throughout Kingdom Rise, seeing that the theme of our conference was identity. Identity. And we said a few things in the week prior to last week. Um, We ministered on the God kind. And man, I got to tell you again, if you did not happen to be here that night, if you haven't had a chance, get online and listen. We discovered who we were designed and destined and created to be. But ultimately, we said this, that God, before he gave man an assignment, he gave man identity. Before God told man what to do, he told man who he is. And so we've discovered in our world, the number one thing the enemy wants to do is he wants to twist that. You know, anything that the enemy attacks in your life or something that he comes after uh, consistently, regularly, intentionally, or with urgency is an indicator to us of what ought to be valued, right? Right? It's an indicator if the enemy's coming for it, then it must be pretty important. And this is what I know. I, I know this beyond the shadow of a doubt, I know this that the enemy knows more about us than we do. I'll say that again. The enemy knows more about you than you do, knows more about me than I do. He knows who you are, he knows whose you are, he knows the potential. The destiny, the purpose, the assignment, the call, the mission, the mandate, the authority. He knows way more about us than we do. He does. And so his goal is to make sure you don't find out as much as he knows. <laughs> his assignment is to make sure you never really discover who you really are, because he knows you pose no threat if you misinterpret your identity, if you misunderstand who God created you to be. You pose no threat. And so in Genesis chapter 3, this is exactly what we see. We know in Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, 28, God said, let us make man in our image, According to our likeness, that's the identity. Then he gives the assignment let them rule, let them manage, let them govern, let them have control, let them bring the earth into their subjection as they remain subjected and submitted to me. We saw that in the first week. You are the God kind. You weren't made a little lower than the angels, you were made a little lower than God Himself, and God put His likeness. His function, his, 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 his operating, his mode of operation. He put everything that was in him and said, I'm putting it in you. Now you govern, you control, you manage. That doesn't put us in charge in the sense that we can do what we want. We still must remain submitted to the king of kings and remain submitted to the Lord of lords. Amen. And we saw that the second that I give up uh, uh, my uh, ability to remain submitted to the king, then I lose my authority. I can only remain in authority if I continue to remain under authority, right? Just some key principles that I'm kind of reiterating. The moment that you fall into rebellion, independence, the, the most dangerous word in the kingdom of God is independence. The most dangerous word in the kingdom of God is I don't need you. I got this. The second most dangerous word in the kingdom of God is rebellion. The second most dangerous, you actually put yourself, you posture yourself in the way of what God is trying to accomplish and what God is trying to do. But we see that this key of identity is is so valuable to mankind, and that's what the enemy finds valuable as well. In Genesis chapter 3, picking up with verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, notice what he's challenging and what he's questioning. He's challenging and questioning. He's bringing up a contradiction to the word of God. We said this in the Uh, In the first week, the God kind, we said this, that your identity is the key to everything else. If I don't solve the identity crisis, then everything else becomes a crisis. Or the way a friend of mine put it, if you don't solve the identity crisis, then crisis becomes your identity. So we find that, that keying in on who am I, you know, these important questions that we all at some point in our lives, whether you're four years old or 40 years old, we end up asking these questions. Why am I here? Why is an important question, isn't it? Why always answers purpose. Why always answers purpose. Why is a very important question to answer. Who am I? That's important to discover. And we found this, that every single one of us in this room has a source of identity. Everyone here has a source of identity. That means you've gone to something or you go to something to determine your identity or where you get your identity from. Well, the devil knows that. The serpent knows that. The most cunning, tricky, subtle being in the garden And he questions, has God indeed said, he recognizes this, if I'm going to trap them out of their identity, if I'm going to challenge their identity, then I have to challenge the source of the identity, that's God's word. If I can get them to think that God has ulterior motives, if I can get them to to challenge God's word along with me, and how many times have you and I noticed that he does that in our lives? He questions and challenges the Word of God. We have the clear, written, and spoken Word of God, both Logos and Rama, Word of God, right here. And it and this is the one book that is probably the most challenged and the most questioned in all of mankind, in all of history. This one right here is up for so much debate today. It is 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 so uh you know. Twisted, misinterpreted, manipulated, and it's all because the enemy knows if I can get them to question the source of their identity, I will in turn hide their identity. But first, I've got to go to the source. The source. where Where are they getting their identity from? Well, our identity as believers in the kingdom of God comes straight from the source, his word. When he said, let them have, that was him speaking. Let them rule. That's God speaking. That's his word. And so we have to recognize that if we don't have a value for his word, we won't have a value for discovering our true identity. Your identity is hidden in a source of identity. And this is what is to be our source of identity. I would never send you to, if you want to discover who you are, let me, let me give you a podcast. Uh, let, me, let, me t- let me direct you to this author. Let me, let, you know, talk to your parents. Talk to your grandparents. Go find a pastor. No, unless they're directing you to the word of God, they cannot be a source of your identity, an accurate source of identity. If we aren't directing them to the word of God, God, If you want to know who you are, if you want to know what you're capable of, if you want to know what you possess, you want to know what your potential is, you want to know what your destiny and your purpose is, you've got to come right here. This can be the only, and I mean only, not one of, the only source of identity if you truly want to discover who you are. And it's all in here. Every question you have can be answered right here. It sure can. You know, Paul wrote a lot about going to the word of God and valuing the word of God and any situation that you find yourself in. And he did that before there were podcasts. He did that before there was YouTube. He did that before there was TBN and Victory Network and all these other things that we have today. He did that before we had access to the, if I could be honest, over consumption of Media and technology that we have today. It provides a great benefit, but I believe there's a lot of us to get lost in it. And if we really just wanted to boil it all down, none of it is going to prove as valuable to your life as this book right here. None of it, I mean, unless they're pointing you to the book, it really has no place in your life. If they're pointing you to their experience, if they're pointing you to their doctrine, if they're pointing you to their theology or to their background, their study, their schooling, their seminary, unless they're going to be someone that's going to point you right back to the word of God, then, you know, it's going to provide very little benefit and could potentially get you off. It could potentially get you away from what God's word Says, so we've got to guard this. You know, what, did, what did David say? Your word have I hidden in my heart. That shows value. You don't hide stuff that doesn't matter. You don't take the time to, you know, uh, uh, conceal something that is casual and doesn't really have any value. No, you take the time to hide things that have real value. And he says, Your word have I hidden. In my heart, that I might not sin against you. So we've got to show a real value. Well, the enemy knows the value of this word, and so he immediately shows up to question and challenge the word of God. Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Verse 2 We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit, Of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will, here it is, not surely die. With one word, a little three-letter word placed in the middle there, he is challenging and bringing up something contradictory to Word of God, and you know, he's still employing the same tactics today. He is still just throwing out subtle, you know, the, the devil does not come at us with just these utmost blatant lies that are obviously against the Word of God. He's subtle. We just read that he's the most cunning beast in all the field. And so he has a sly way of uh, um, someone just explained to me me, uh, this way. If you take a a bucket of white paint and you just drop one little drop of tint or black paint in there, you're going to end up with gray. You're gonna end up with gray area ever, every time, and not because you just ran after something that was contrary. It's because we tolerated even in the simplest form. And I believe we're moving into days, in these last days, these latter days, where we're gonna to have to become even more intolerant of certain material. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about rude and 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 you know get away from me. But we're gonna to have to be very careful what we tolerate in our lives, tolerate in our minds, tolerate in our thinking, what we allow ourselves. We saw in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on things above, not on things below. And I think where the enemy slips in is not where we just take this hard 90, a complete 180. I don't want to follow God. I want to do my own thing. I believe where the enemy slips in is he just little, little drop of untruth, Just, just a little Just just a hair off. And I think we're moving into days where we can't even tolerate just the smallest inkling of something that doesn't align with his word. Just even in the simplest form. Now, I think we're going to have to be extremely careful. He says, you will not surely die. And that's all you have to do is just give that one statement room in your brain. Room in your mind. I know that we read this, and it just sounds so quick and simple. Like here's one morning, you know, Eve gets up, goes to do her, you know, normal duties, and here comes this snake introduced in just in one conversation. But I, you know, I, I have to believe that there was a pattern of this that she tolerated, that she allowed, that continued to took place, and over time, you continue to tolerate, you continue to allow, you continue to um um entertain, if you will, these conversations and these thoughts. And before you know it, you start giving thought to it. You start to formulate a, a, a opportunity in your mind that says, maybe I won't surely die. I mean, maybe, maybe the command wasn't that direct. Maybe, maybe God didn't really, and we start to entertain these things over time, and it builds on itself. That's why I'm saying that we've, we've got to find ourselves a little more intolerant because, you know, truth is on trial today. The truth is questioned every which way. There, there's so many. I mean, you know, what is good is called evil and what is evil is called good. I mean, how do you get there? You get there over time. We don't get there overnight. We get there over time. And now it feels like it's picking up pace, but I can tell you there was a pattern, there was a course set long before us that we tolerated, that we allowed, and it's grown to this point. So verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows. Now, I want you to look at this clearly with me. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. That's weird. Why would Satan want to tempt them with something that would open their eyes? You would think that if if Satan, if the enemy really wants to get man off course, he'd want to close their eyes, right? Your eyes will be opened. And look at the next statement. And you will be like God. What? I'm not reading this right. Is that what y'all's Bible says? Is that what it says on the screen? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Why would Satan want us to be like God? I thought Satan wants me to not be like God. Isn't that strange? Well, here's the key. What is he talking about in this moment right here? You will be like God. He's talking about their identity. See, Satan is not tempting them with fruit. Satan did not tempt Eve with fruit, Satan tempted Eve with identity. It's what the fruit represented. He's not tempting her with an apple. He's not tempting her with with luscious fruit hanging from a tree. He's tempting her with, if you partake of this, you will be like God. Now, the crazy thing is they could not be any more like God than they already were. You know what that's called? We have a word for it today. It starts with an R. It's called religion. Doing something to try to become what you already are. If you want to define religion today in 2021, that's what religion is. Performing acts, behaviors, attitudes, uh, actions, how I live, to become something that Jesus, when he died on a cross and rose again, already made me to be. And he's, he's been doing it since day one. Trying to get you to exchange something for something he offers. To get you to become what you already are. Ha! <laughs> I mean... If we don't learn something about what the devil is trying to do in Genesis chapter 3, I mean, if you want to just break it down, th- this, is, this is what is still happening today. He's still using, still employing the same tactic. Why in the world would he want man to be more like God? I thought he wants me to be anything other than like God. But, that, but see, that's the key to the manipulation. That's the, that's the twist. That's why he's cunning. That's why he's tricky. He's an idiot, but he's not stupid. (laughs) He's a fool, but he knows what he's doing. He gets us to buy into thinking that we're becoming more like God when we're actually doing the very opposite of what God has called us to do. And see, what happens is, is we are exchanging who we are for what we think we need to become. There's an exchange that takes place in this moment right here. There's something that happens. You will not surely die for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Go ahead and eat that fruit. You'll be more like God. And God's trying to keep it from you. God's trying to hide this from you. God knows that if you eat of this fruit, you will be more like him. And there's people every day giving up their identity and buying the lie. Buying the lie. I'll be honest with you. The enemy doesn't so much want us just running rampant in the world, sinning at will and doing whatever our flesh wants us to do. An even greater threat to the kingdom of God is people that ought to be living for him, but have accepted a manipulated form of Christianity called religion they are actually more lost than lost people are themselves because the level of deception that has to be broken off of a religious person is so much greater than the level of brokenness that has to be broken off of someone that's just lost and dying. At least when you're lost, you can find your way, but religious people cannot find their way. Jesus said it himself. Jesus said it himself that there will be many, that will miss because the, the narrow is the gate. It's like trying to go through the eye of a needle. You, you've attained so much that keeps you from the very thing God wants for you. See, when you're lost and dying in the world, you know you're lost and dying in the world. And you're just choosing flesh over the kingdom of God. You're just choosing the the, 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 the moments of, of, you know, answering what you feel you want in that moment but when you are religious when you have accepted a false identity you think you're obtaining god likeness when you're really not you think that you're moving closer towards him when you're really not man what a what a what a broken level to live on the depravity of thinking I'm like God when I nowhere further from the truth. And it's exactly what Jesus had to combat in his ministry with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and what the Bible calls the religious leaders of their time. When they were opposing Jesus, they thought they were on God's side. And who crucified Jesus? It wasn't just straight up lost people. Who crucified Jesus? It was those that thought they were advancing the kingdom of God. Woo! Well, we could go home right on that point, couldn't we? That's eye opening, isn't it? This is what happens when we trade our identity. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. In verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree, was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And this was the last time a woman was allowed to pick the restaurant. (laughs) That's why all the women are like, I ain't picking, you pick this thing. I ain't messing this up a second time. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Hiding is a form of condemnation. Condemnation always attacks identity. Condemnation always attacks identity. In an instant, they lost their identity. We've heard, we, you've heard us say this before, but they didn't lose heaven. They didn't, they didn't lose heaven because they didn't come from heaven. They were created on the earth for the earth, to rule the earth, to manage the earth. So in this moment, they lost their identity and their identity. When you lose your identity, you lose your assignment. They lost their authority. And the enemy didn't steal their authority. They handed it over. Here you go. Because again, if I don't remain under authority, I can't remain in authority. And in that moment, they handed over their authority. He became the God of this world. Became the ruler of this age. Go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Now we zip ahead through the Old Testament. If you really want to break it down, the Old Testament is man trying to find his way. Man trying to rediscover this lost identity, this lost purpose. And God is always having to inform his people of who they are. You are a father of many nations, therefore you will have a child. You are a a, a valiant warrior, Gideon, so now go. He he starts with who you are, and then he tells them their assignment, gives them an assignment, but he never gives an assignment without first giving identity. Because if I give you an assignment and you don't know who you are, you will not be able to fulfill that assignment. You'll walk in condemnation. You'll walk, you'll walk in guilt and shame. You'll walk in inferiority. I think it was Monday, I think it was Monday morning when Pastor Marcy, she was walking us through prayer and and she just felt a shift. She said, I haven't even hit my notes, but I just feel that the Lord wants us to understand who we are, our our identity. Because if you keep approaching the throne with an inferiority complex, we're never going to accomplish what prayer was designed to accomplish. We're never going to partner with heaven. We're going to come in and we're just, God, forgive me, because I'm just a sorry sinner, and I've just blown it all week long, and, oh, just have mercy and grace. on my, and, and he's like, man, I need you to get some stuff done. But you don't know who you are. You don't know what you have. You don't know the access and the boldness. I mean, when you boldly come, boldness is attached to identity. Because If I don't know who I am, then I can't boldly. Camden. In my house, my son, Camden, 10 years old, when he goes into my fridge, he boldly goes before the fridge. He boldly. Why? Because he knows I'm in my father's house. He doesn't come, oh, daddy, please. I, I know that I've blown it. I know that I've missed it. But but if, if you see it upon your heart to uh, give me just a, a piece of cheese, you know, not much. I, I don't need much. Just, just give me a if, if you No, he's Franking the thing open, storming through it, leaving doors open, crumbs everywhere. I mean, he boldly, why? Because he's a kid, he's a child, he's the son, he belongs in the house. He knows that everything in daddy's house belongs to him, and I've got rightful access. So we have no business meagerly, oh, oh, Jesus, oh, oh, Lord, if you see it upon your heart to, to heal my body, if, if, if it's your will, boldly. Boldly, boldly access the throne. Well, that comes from knowing who you are. Knowing who you are. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Wait, did I read that right? Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. It's amazing the things you'll be led to do. Now, he was not led to be tempted by a devil to get whipped. He was led by the Spirit to defeat the enemy, to defeat the devil. Amen. If you're led into a trial or to a struggle, it's not because God wants you to suffer and God wants you to be broken and God wants you, you know, bogged down in in trials and tribulation. He wants you to overcome. He's sending you in to whip the thing. He's sending you in to show what victory looks like. He's He's walking you into the thing saying, I've already whipped it. Now go in there and get the spoils. Amen. Different perspective, isn't it? Then the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by who? The devil, that same devil. Genesis chapter 3. We're thousands of years later, but we're going to see some correlations here. We're going to see some parallels. And when he had fasted 40 days, and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. <laughs> Mine would have said endearing. When he started He was hungry. He says afterward, he made it 40 days and 40 nights. And then afterwards, like, you know what? I could go for a sandwich right now. I'm I'm a little hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if, everyone say if, if you are the what, the what, say it again, the what, the son, that sounds like identity. Still coming after identity. Still coming after who are you. Still challenging your makeup, your DNA, who you belong to, the bloodline you're in. If you are the son of God. I mean, right here in the moment, where we are thousands of years later. We are half a book into this thing. We're in a New Testament and he's still employing the same Tactic, if I'm going to get you off your assignment, I've got to come after your identity. If I'm, going to gift you, if I'm going to get you off of what you can do, then I must question and challenge who you are. And he's still doing it today. He's talking believers out of their authority, out of their mission, out of their mandate by challenging who they are. Identity. If you are, first statement out, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, they had the word of God. You may remember Pastor Earl saying this, that in the garden, Adam and Eve didn't need anything else other than the word to defeat the snake. Isn't that amazing? They didn't need a shovel. They didn't need a shotgun. They didn't need a backhoe. They didn't need uh, someone to come in and terminate the snake or carry the snake. They didn't need to bring in animal control. I mean, you, you won't find anywhere where God warns Adam and Eve that there's even a snake in the garden. I find that interesting. If I have a sworn enemy and I'm sending you in to a place where the enemy is, one of the first things I'm going to let you know about is there's an enemy in that garden, and he's going to come after you. Not once do we have any conversation from God to Adam and God to Eve saying, hey, watch out. No, why? If you just obey my word, you'll win every time. If you will honor my word, you will whip the snake. There's nothing he can do to you unless you give it to him. Come on. That snake had no access to Adam and Eve unless they rebel and give in to the snake's demands. The snake comes in, immediately challenges the word of God. Did God say? And then he gets them to buy into a new identity that is not theirs. You will be like God. Well, now he's repeating, same scenario. You could say that Matthew chapter 4 is the parallel to Genesis chapter 3. It's, it's Genesis 3, 2.0. We've got the second Adam, right? Jesus is called the second Adam. He came to redeem and restore all that the snake or, or all that Adam, the first Adam, gave up and lost. So he's come in here and he said, let me, I'm going to fix this thing. I'm going to correct this thing. We're going to get this thing straight. Adam, you watching? Because I'm going to show you how this is done. I'm going to show you how this should have gone down the first time. If you are the son of God, command these stones and look at Jesus's words, verse four. But he answered and said, it is written. What's written? The word of God is written. It is written. Now, you don't want to challenge the word of God against the word of God, right? Jesus is the word made flesh dwelling among us. But Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I am the son of God. He doesn't respond with with his identity. He responds with his source of identity. Jesus responds with what? The word. It is written, because my identity is not my own. My identity is not just what I tell people I am. My identity comes from a source. So, if you really want to question and challenge my identity, you have to challenge the source of my identity. And it is written, "Man shall not live but uh, by every uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth." Of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, here it is again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. So now he's like, okay, okay, so the word is important to you. Okay, I got you. I got one for you, for it is written. If you're looking in a Bible that's got black and red print, that part's written in black. It's the word of God, but it's the devil speaking it. See, just because it's speaking the word doesn't mean it's coming from the right source. In fact, in 2021, the devil may know more word about us than we do. The devil may know more word than we do. That's why it's important you got to value the word of God. Be in the word of God. I don't, want, man, I don't want to get to heaven and find out the devil read more of the Bible than I did. Knows more of the Bible than I do. Come on now. No. I'm not going to be outdone by Satan when it comes to the word of God. For it is written, he says, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, responds with the word of God. Imagine if Adam and Eve would have responded in such a way. Imagine if Adam and Eve would have responded with the same value for the word of God and not allow a snake to manipulate and twist them into trying to become something that they already were. But Jesus says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you. And yes, he could give it to him because he was the ruler of this age. He had access to all the kingdoms. And Jesus says, I'll get the kingdoms back, just not the way you think. Amen. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came. And ministered to him. Angels came. Now go to Luke chapter 4. So we see that Jesus, in a parallel instance, in a, uh, almost a copy version, the New Testament version, if you will, the second Adam, the Adam 2.0 version of what the first Adam lost, Jesus finds himself led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness To be tempted by the devil, and the devil employs the same tactic. I will take away from him by challenging and questioning his identity, by challenging and questioning the word. Same formula, same process. And we see that Jesus responds favorably. Jesus does not give up. His identity. He does not exchange. See, when you, when, when, when you let go of your identity, there's always an exchange made. But what you get in return is nowhere near the worth in comparison of what you give up. It will always cost you. What you gain by giving up your identity in who you are is never worth. It's always a cost. And people are paying that price daily, being talked out of who God's called them to be, out of who God has assigned them to be, who God has already, as we saw in the first week in Ephesians, he's predestined you to be. We cannot trade condemnation for our identity, shame for our identity, guilt for our identity, worth to man trying to appease people it will never get you where god wants you to be when he gave you your identity now luke chapter 4 if you start with verse 1 it's going to take us right through the temptation process again but in this chapter i want us to go down a little further and i want us to start let's let's start with verse uh start with verse 14 Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. This is right after the temptation experience. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding regions, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place. He found the place where it was what? Written. It is written. And now he finds the place where it was written. Written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, you to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's reading this passage, which ultimately we know is speaking of himself, speaking of Jesus himself. But everything that is stated in there is not who he is. It's what he's called to do. It's assignment, not identity. Everything he states, read it again. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable. All of that is assignment. But remember what we said. You won't know what to do until you know who you are. You won't know what your assignment is until you know who you are. It's amazing to me that he as soon as he is challenged in his identity, shows back up in his hometown in Nazareth. Come on. And he reads now what he's called to do. He has confidence in who he is. Now he has confidence in what to do. We think if I get confidence in what I do, then I'll become confident in who I am. Right? This is what we do. This is what, this is what the world teaches us. Until you can be confident in your doing, you won't be confident in your being. But God has it the other way around. Get to know who you are first, then you will discover what to do next. And if we misunderstand our identity, we will misinterpret our purpose, our assignment. So again, we see it in order. The enemy comes and challenges Jesus on the basis of, who he is, if you are the son of God. And three times he responds with, it is written, it is written, it is written. Now he gets up and he reads a scripture from a scroll, from the the word of God that they had at that time. In front of all of, this is interesting, in verse 16 it says, he came to Nazareth, the place of his natural identity. So we're going to see something interesting here as this goes on. Because you will find yourself in the same place where your previous identity will war against who you are now. Remember, he's at home. So these people know Jesus. No, they don't know Jesus, the son of God. They know Jesus, the son of man. They know Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of Mary. Don't we know his brothers and his sisters? In verse 20, he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, here it is, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He says, I have confidence to stand before you and say that the one that this was written about, that's me. That's me. That prophet Isaiah, he was talking about me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And to proclaim and to preach and to set at liberty and to heal and recovery of sight and and, and proclaiming the acceptable year, that's my assignment. That's why I'm here. That's what I'm called to do. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But then they messed up. See, people will marvel at what you do, but still question who you are. They marveled at his words that proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, wait, Wait. no, wait, I I didn't, no, that's not him. Is this not Joseph's son? What are they questioning? They're not questioning assignment, they're questioning identity. They cannot reconcile who he is with what he said he'll do. Mm. Is this not Joseph's son? And Jesus is thinking, Are you serious? I just whipped the devil trying to question my identity. Now I have to come here to my own people. Sometimes we are more bold to stand up against the devil, but then we shrink back when it's people we know. We're not as bold with people close to us. Why? Because they know our stuff. They know who we used to be. They know who we were back then who we used to run with, the things we used to do, the things we used to say, the things we used to engage with, or our faults and our failures. And it's easy, the enemy, see, the enemy, he he, he's, he he says, okay, I mean, look at the, I mean, if you look at verse 13, let's just pop verse 13 up there. Luke chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, what does it say? Until an opportune time. Meaning, I'm not done with you yet. You think this is over? If you don't want to question me, if you don't want to fight me, then I'll I'll bring your own brothers and sisters against you. And not, but several verses later, we have people of his own challenging the very thing that the devil was challenging in the wilderness. Is this not Joseph's son? Verse 23 says, he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself wherever we, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you truly, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath. They were just marveling Now they're angry. They were just like, oh man, what words? And now they're angry at him, filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. What's the point? There will always be those that will try to challenge your identity, even when they see God moving in your life. The problem isn't that they can't see what God is doing in your life. They just can't reconcile that it's you that God is doing those things through. That God is using you for his glory when you've lived such a life and done such a thing and been in such places and engaged with such people. And and, and obviously, it's going to be the ones that are the closest to you that may be the hardest to win over. The more someone knows about you. And that's what Jesus was referring to. There were other widows that could have received from the prophet Elisha, but they didn't. It was a woman in Zarephath. It was naming. It was people that weren't familiar with who you were and who you used to be and, and what you used to engage in. But the key is, is my identity must come first. And Jesus in this moment, in this entire chapter, not just with the, the devil in the wilderness, but even with His own people in his own hometown had to stand confident in his identity so that he could accomplish his purpose. He did not make an exchange. He did not allow the devil to try to manipulate and trick him and twist him into believing that he could accomplish something that he already was. He knew who he was. Just prior to this passage, when he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him act like a dove. And what does the voice say? This is my beloved son in whom. And you know what I love about that? Is God booms from heaven with that voice and that statement. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Before he ever preached a message, performed a miracle, walked on water, raised someone from the dead, went to the cross, and rose from the dead himself. What's the point? That God has already picked out your identity. He's already chosen your destiny. He's already laid it out, and it's not based on what you can accomplish, but what you can accomplish is based on what he's accomplished and what he's already done in you. Walk confidently in who you are. Walk boldly in your identity before God, before the enemy, and even before those that know you by a different identity. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com.